Uh, Let's pray together and we'll jump right into the Word of God. Lord, thank You. Thank You for today. Thank You for our time together so far. And, And Lord, it's January 13th, the second Sunday in 2019, and and Lord, uh, we're still we're still maybe getting our feet under us and trying to gather ourselves and maybe seeking you for your will for the new year as a church and in our own lives and families and and so Lord uh, through your word today, uh, I pray that you would give us direction that you would uh, Lord speak truth through your word to us. Lord, you are a good God. And you are good all the time, so, so we believe your word is good as well. So Lord, open our hearts, not just to understand it, but then, uh, then to be doers, to bring the application, and to walk in faith and obedience, Lord, for your glory. All God's people said, Amen. Last Sunday, I ended a service sharing with you a story where uh, during Christmas, about two weeks ago, I was over at the Shell gas station. And uh, how many of you go to the Shell gas station where you get to watch TV, right, where you fill up, right, other places do it. But I was there filling up my gas tank and the TV comes on. You're like, oh, TV comes on and there's sports highlights and, you know, commercials. And then at the very end, there was the word of the day, right? And last Sunday, I I shared the word of the day on that particular tank fill up was sanguine. So sanguine, right? And then, then it has a definition. It says sanguine is marked by eager hopefulness, confidently optimistic, sanguine, right? And so we ended last Sunday and, and kind of a reflective, like, okay, so as you look forward to 2019, does sanguine describe how you're viewing 2019? Some of you are like, sanguine? I'm thinking more survival. You know? Sanguine. Just think, think about that for a moment. As you look forward to 2019, are those thoughts or those emotions, is that vision marked by eager hopefulness? Are you confidently optimistic? Right? And if you are, the follow-up question is, what's the basis of that? Why are you hopeful and why are you confidently optimistic? Right? And we said last Sunday as we closed that the reason for us is 2 Peter 1.3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So why can we be sanguine? Ultimately, it's because we've been given everything we need. We've been given everything we need for a godly life, right? To honor God, to to pursue our sanctification, to become more and more like Jesus, which is ultimately our goal, because 2 Peter 3.18 says we're to grow in grace. So many of us here want to grow in grace. We want to grow spiritually. And the good news is we already have everything we need. Amen? So if you're, if you're following that, that is kind of the true source of being hopeful and confidently optimistic. So there's the goal. Grow in grace. Be spiritually mature. We've been getting everything we need. Of course, the challenge is, well... How do I get the two to say hello to each other? Right? It's all there. The Bible says I have everything I need. He's already provided it in His grace. I want to get there. How do I tap into that? How do I, as we've called it in the fall, as we're looking at grace, how do I appropriate that? How do I position myself? If God has His storehouse of grace and He's constantly wanting to give it to me every day, how do I get that? Right? And that's what we've been looking at. Right? We've seen that, that the foundation to our growth 
is the Word of God. What we call the means of grace, and we're looking at that this first quarter of the year, is really the Word of God. It's His primary means of grace. If you want to grow in grace, primarily it's through the Word of grace, right? The Apostle Paul was going to head to Jerusalem, so he called the elders from Ephesus together, and he said this in Acts. He says, Now I commit you, he's talking to the elders, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's kind of like a benediction. It's a pretty cool benediction, right? If you're leaving and I said, hey, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Pretty powerful statement, right? Pretty powerful statement. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them or set them apart. Make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Transformation, metamorphosis, really is the renewing of our mind. Right? 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Right? So, primary means of grace, Word of God, it's a spiritual milk, it renews our minds, it sets us apart, right? If that's true, and it is, why aren't we just eating the Word of God all the time? What is it in us that, okay, man, right? Okay, survey says, I do this often here, survey says, how many of you here would like to grow spiritually in 2019? I'm not talking like leaps and bounds. I'm talking baby steps. How many of you would like to take one baby step? Right? One baby step spiritually, right? Primary means we've just seen through those four scriptures, Word of God. Okay. Why the struggle? Why aren't we just in our Bibles all the time? Why aren't we memorizing it? Right? Why aren't we all here on Tuesday? <laughs> right? What, what in us? And we're going to look at that, right? We're going to look at that. It's kind of fundamental. In uh, July 1961, the Green Bay Packers gathered for training camp, first day of training camp. Vince Lombardi was the coach, very famous, successful coach, right? The Packers had just lost the NFL championship game the previous season. So they went to the championship, they lost. All these veterans, superstar players gathered for the first day of training camp. Very f famous meeting and gathering, and Vince Lombardi gathers the seasoned veterans who had just been to the NFL championship, and he says, Gentlemen, this is a football. No duh, right? That's pretty much, I'm guessing, what a lot of those guys said. We just were at the Super Bowl. What is Coach Lombardi thinking? to start this training camp where we're expected to go again, talking to the Green Bay Packers. Gentlemen, this is a football. What was he doing? He, he was basically saying, gentlemen, we are starting at the basics. We will take nothing for granted. We are going to focus on the fundamentals as the basis of our next march to the Super Bowl. Gentlemen, this is a football. The basics, the fundamentals, taking nothing for granted. 
This is a Bible. No, duh. Basics. Fundamentals. Take nothing for granted. Right? And my encouragement to you, and it's probably the encouragement to those players, is not to check out. Because, see, when they focus on the fundamentals at the NFL level, they're not going to learn anything new that they didn't learn when they were an Ohio Eagle or played for Nordoff or VC. The fundamentals that Vince Lombardi wanted to begin with, they learned in elementary school in Pop Warner and junior high. But he understood if they were going to progress, they had to start somewhere. And the starting point was the basics and the fundamentals. If we're going to grow, you've got to start here. And just like those athletes, some of you who have been in church for a while, you're right now very tempted to check out. Ah, oh, the Bible. Oh, yeah. Tell me something I don't know. The truth is I'm probably not. You're probably not going to hear something you haven't already heard in the next few weeks as we look at the basics and the fundamentals of the Word of God. But if it is true that this is, this is basic to growing spiritually, we have to discipline ourselves, really, to start at the basics and the fundamentals and not to check out. Now, this basics and starting in basics and fundamentals, it applies to anything. Any musicians in the house? Basics and fundamentals, the chords, right? You run a business, it's kind of the basics and the fundamentals. You have a hobby, relationships, marriages, 28 years of working with couples, kind of boils down to basics, fundamentals of just being married, right? Learning a language, learning to drive, right? It's just some basics, some fundamentals, right, that you take with you into the rest of your life. It's kind of where we are, and that's where we're heading, and I'm going to encourage you to come and, and really come with a heart that says, Lord, I just want to be teachable because in the end it's a, it's a heart issue. The starting place is really our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. It's a heart issue. In the, in the Bible, the heart was the center of our life. It was, it was a, a word picture that everything in my life flows out of my heart. So Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard that because everything how you speak, what you think, all your relationships, how you handle your money, handle you handle your time. Everything in your life, in my life, flows out. It's a heart issue. That's why Proverbs says, guard that. Start there, right? Start there. It's a heart issue, right? I told you this story. Uh, I've told it before. I used to be a youth pastor. I started in youth ministry in San Diego back, like, early 90s. And in my first church, uh, there was a family we knew, kind of lived near us, uh, down in South San Diego, and they had a junior high boy at that time, junior high going to high school. And uh, their son was heavy into gangs, heavy into gangs, not just, not just uh, uh, you know, wannabe. He was in, 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 sported the colors proudly. Wherever we were, he sported the colors of, you know, youth events. And, he didn't, you know, he wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't a wannabe. He was in. And his family was concerned, and he asked if I would, would meet with him. So I would meet with him regularly. We got to be friends, and 
I'd take him out to lunch, we'd talk, how's life, da-da-da, talk about why he's doing what he's doing. Met for, met for quite a while during his teenage years. And then we lost contact. He's, his family was down south. I moved up to Oceanside. I still heard some things about him. I heard, you know, he was so into it that his was, he was into it where the other gangs would you know, like shoot at him in his house and all this kind of stuff. It was, it was that serious. So we go this way. I'm working at a church in Oceanside, and I, somehow or another I hear that this guy, I think he had gone to jail, he got out, and now he was laying tile at this big development just up the street from the church I was at. I'm like, oh, sweet, I'm going to go hit him up. So I go at lunch, I go hit him up, I say, hey, dude, you know, we, we reconnect. He's like this big now, and, you know, kind of went through a lot in his life, and now he's laying tile. And I asked him, I just had to. I said, hey, man, you remember when we used to meet when you were in junior high and high school when you were running with the gang and getting shot at and all that stuff? He goes, yeah. I asked him, did it make any difference? Because I just had to know, right? I'm a youth pastor. I'm not the best for this guy. And he's like, did it really make any difference, man? And I loved his answer. He says, well, you were a good influence, but I was going to do what I was going to do. And I loved that honesty. Yeah, you were a good influence, but I was going to do what I was going to do. And it really struck me that, that one of the reasons that we struggle with really making this a real part of our life, is that for some of us, this is a really good influence, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It's an authority issue. It's a submission issue. It's a yielding issue. It's a faith issue. It's a trust issue. It's a grace issue. But at the core, the question for us is, what is this? What is your conviction? What do you really believe about the Word of God? Is it just a good influence? And are you going to just do what you're going to do? It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And we're going to look at a passage, a story where, where Jesus interacts with Simon Peter, and, and it really speaks to this issue of authority and trust, right? So in Luke 5, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 5. It's a story starting in verse 1, Luke 5, 1. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, it's another name for the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. All right, so Sea of Galilee, not familiar with it, just a big lake, basically. Bunch of people on the shore. Jesus sees two boats. He says, hey, Simon. Simon, this is Simon Peter. Let's get in your boat. He gets in the boat, pushes off a little from shore, and he teaches from the boat so everyone can hear him, right? Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. 
But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So Jesus finishes teaching, and then he turns to Simon. And he commands Simon to do two things that would have caused deep struggle in Simon. Would have caused incredible turmoil. Right? When he had finished speaking, verse 4, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water, that's number one, let down the nets for a catch, number two. Seems pretty innocent. Except that Simon was a fisherman by trade. A very good fisherman. And the way that you catch fish at the Sea of Galilee is at night in the shallows. So Jesus is commanding Simon to do two things that are opposite of what every trained expert fisherman knows in that region. And I just got to imagine Simon looking at Jesus going, okay, carpenter boy, you're telling me to go out to the deep. Nobody fishes in the daytime in the deep water. Duh! It's nighttime, carpenter boy. It's going to fail. What are, you, what are you talking about, right? And I can imagine that, that people on the shore were close enough to hear this. And there are probably fishermen there too and people who know the custom and how to do it. And I'm sure people on the show were like, what's Simon going to do now? What is going to happen here? So Jesus makes these two commands, put out into deep and let down the nets for a catch and Simon suddenly is in a conflict. Because see, that's, that doesn't jive with what Simon thinks, what Simon has experienced, what Simon thinks he knows. It doesn't jive with custom or tradition. In fact, everything in the human level would say, failure is imminent. Right? In fact, Simon, I, I like what he says. He says, verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. He's on, hey. That's why they were washing their nets. They were washing their nets when Jesus came up because they had been out. And, right? Bad night of fishing. And now Jesus telling us to go out to the deep, rubbing salt in the wound here. Epic failure. Epic waste of my time. Silly. Dumb. Who thought of this idea? Right? And I wonder how many of us have been challenged by something in God's Word that just didn't seem to make sense based on our experience, based on my understanding, based on what I know works. How many of us have honestly, maybe not out loud, but internally thought, Jesus, you're a little cray-cray. You want me to do what? Failure is imminent. How many of us have struggled just with the same thing where, where the Word of God says, do this, do this. And internally you're like, mm, what are people going to think? All those people on the shore are looking at me. What are they going to think? This is not going to work. This is a bad plan, God. Bad plan. Same struggle. But look what he says. And if you're comfortable writing in your Bibles, underlining, highlighting, you may want to do that with this next set of words. 
but because you say so. Key to the whole passage. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. He's challenged to the core. He's challenged with everything he knows in his life. He's challenged with what he thinks. He's challenged to lean on his own understanding, his own successes. But then that phrase reflects a heart change, a heart choice. And what is the choice? Submission, trust, yielding to his authority. Key word where it says, Simon answered, master, right? Master, that word in the Greek means chief commander, magistrate, governor of a city. What he was doing was he was submitting to Jesus' authority. It was an authority issue. That's why he uses the word master. Because you say so. How many of you, I'll just speak to the parents in the house for just a second. How many of you have ever desired that your child do something? Because you say so. This morning, get up, wash your face, clean your room, right? Why? 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 I don't want to. Why? Do I have to, right? And you've, how many of you have literally, those words have come out of your mouth? Because I say so. Anyone? What are you playing? The authority card. Now, it's not a heavy-handed authority because oftentimes, I'm going to give us the benefit of the doubt because I've had five kids. When I say because I say so, it's, like, it's, it's, it's also with this heart. I know you don't get it. I know you don't understand. I know you don't feel like it. I know you don't even want to, but you have to trust me. You have to trust me on this one. Putting a bobby pin in the electric outlet is not good. <laughs> Why? 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 Little Johnny said it was fun. Well, little Johnny's got to, you know, because I say so. So behind the because I say so is I have your best interest at heart. Right? We often say here God is good and all the time. Okay. Is he? Even when he tells you to do something that I don't want to? Right? So beyond the command, you have to go to the character of God. And when God says, because I say so, there's a point where you and I have to trust that he's good and therefore what he's saying is for my good. Even if I don't get it. Just like our kids. How many of you ever had an experience maybe, maybe in your own life with your parents or your own kids where you didn't get it initially but a year or two later when you grew up, then you got it. You had an aha moment like, ah, oh, now I get why my dad said to do that. Now I understand why they were, boy, I was rebelling back then, but now I really get it. See, sometimes this goes back to just humbling yourself. And I love what Simon Peters does. He says, okay, but because you say so, Despite my feelings, despite my thoughts, despite my opinions, despite my own experiences, because you say so. Because you say so. So it's really an authority issue, right? And we have to, we have to really examine ourselves and take time to ask ourselves, what do we really believe about the authority of Scripture? The authority of Scripture. 
Here's a quote. It says, When we say the Bible is our only rule for faith and practice, we mean that we hold the Bible, God's holy word, to be our ultimate guide for what we believe, faith, and what we do, practice. We mean that the Bible trumps man's authority, church tradition, and our own opinions. We mean we will allow nothing that opposes God's word to dictate our actions or control our thinking. We mean that we agree with the reformer's cry of sola scriptura, right? David Dockery says this, a view that affirms the Bible's divine inspiration and total truthfulness is of little value if we do not also have a commitment to the Bible's complete and absolute authority in our lives. And any discussion of biblical authority must begin with God himself, for all authority is located in God. So here's the thing. What is that last quote? I love that. It says, hey, you know what? If you profess that this is God's inspired word of God, that this is inspired of God, and you profess any of you and say, hey, it's God's truth, but you also, with the same degree of conviction, are not yielded to its authority, then it's like the teenage gangster. It's just a good influence, but you're going to do what you're going to do. Right? So you can believe and be solid that this is inspired of God and it's God's truth, but if you haven't settled the authority issue in your life that this should bring because it's from God, that's why you might be kind of stuck in your spiritual growth. You just might be stuck. It's a Simon moment. It's a let down the nets moment. That's where you're struck. You're not stuck in divine inspiration. You're not even stuck in it being the truth. What, what the obstacle is, maybe in 2019, it's an authority issue. It's an authority issue. The authority of Scripture, right? Two key verses, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. You guys are familiar with these. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good right. All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired of God. Second Peter 1, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, So here, here's where we are. What we're looking at today and, and who I'm speaking to are, are those of us here who have already kind of settled the issue of the inspiration and the truth of God's Word. Okay, If you're here visiting this morning and you're still in the process of trying to really settle a conviction about what is the Bible, that's awesome. There's great resources out there. Search it out. Search it out. When I, when I was in my journey into faith, I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition, and quite honestly, I went to church since I could remember, to college. I, I didn't even own a Bible. I went to Mass every Sunday. I didn't even read the Bible. I got introduced to, to Jesus and kind of the evangelical church, Christian church, and suddenly everyone, everyone on Sunday was bringing Bibles. And I'm like, I don't own one of those. Never cracked one of those, right? And down in San Diego, we used to have a sunrise service at SeaWorld, right? The church we were at, the big, and uh, when we were dating, was it when we were dating? We were dating. My, my wife, who was dating back then, uh, she got me my first Bible, right? Owned a Bible when I was 22, right? 22, 23. But it wasn't just enough to own one. You know, I was going to UCLA at the time, political science major, going to go to law school. So I was like, okay, what is this? 
not because tradition says, but I had to search it out. I, I, I was looked. I looked at the evidence. I wanted to, you know, why do people believe this is God's word as opposed to any other religious book on the market? You go to Barnes & Noble? <laughs> what makes this any different? So I went through that process of searching it out. All the evidences, right? And encourage you to do that, right? Manuscripts, archaeology, fulfilled prophecy, all of it. Look at it. It's there. It's there. And then I came to that settled conviction that, okay, yeah, all Scripture is God-breathed and God supernaturally spoke through men. If I'm honest with you, I still don't fully get that. It's a supernatural act and I'm not going to blow smoke at you and oh yeah, I understand that fully. It's crazy. Supernatural. Right? But based on the evidence and my prayer and looking at it all, talking to people, I was like, okay, yeah. And then I had to Go to the next. Okay, so it's inspired. It's God's word. He did it supernaturally. Don't fully get it, but okay. Now this authority issue came up. Right? It says, God has made himself known in the scriptures. Truly, revelation and authority are two sides of the same reality. God declares his authority in his revelation, his inspired word, and God alone is the ultimate source of authority. So here's the thing. Why is this authoritative in your life and in my life? Because God is the ultimate authority. What makes this authoritative is who God is. Because it comes from Him. Right? So why is God authoritative? Why is God the ultimate authority? Just some, some quick points, some verses. God is creator. Genesis 1.1. Right? In the beginning, God created. He's creator. God is eternal. Exodus 3. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. They asked me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What is I am? Right? God is saying, this is my name. I am. What does that mean? It means it is the ultimate expression of self-existence. He's always existed. He's not dependent on anything or anybody. He is sovereign. He's God. I am. Just I am. The constant present tense. I am. Always was. I am. Right? So God is eternal. Why is he authoritative? He's the owner of everything. Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. So he's creator. He's eternal. He's owner. And last one. He establishes all authority. Romans 13.1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So why is God the authority? Because he's the very first authority. And every other authority in, in, in existence comes ultimately from him. Right? So if you're like, okay, how do I get one? It's, it's inspired. It's truth. The authority of Scripture comes from the authority of God. That's where, that's where we land, Right? Richard L. Mayhew, he kind of breaks it down into three statements. Scripture is the word of God. The words of God are authoritative. Conclusion, Scripture is authoritative. <laughs> Pretty logical. All right? Now, kind of simple to read, but because it's a heart issue, oh boy. Goes back to the because I said so moment as a little kid. Right? 
Right? You get this in, in, in the classroom, the teacher's the authority on the sports field, the coach, the ref. The, we, we understand authority. You're the boss. There's the authority. Right? We get living in authority. But man, oh man, joyfully functioning under authority, how many of you find that a wee bit difficult? Joyfully submitting to authority. Right? You're waking up tomorrow. How many of you going to wake up tomorrow morning and say, I cannot wait to get to work and submit to authority today? You just... Yes! Another day to submit to authority. I love it. Right now, there's something in us, quite frankly. How many of you, if you're really honest, deep down, <coughs> tighten up when you feel like you're being told to do something? You just, we just don't like to be told what to do. Even if we know here that it's for our best, how many of you still, 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 to this very day, don't like to be told what to do? You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. How many of you, when uh, your parents or somebody set the boundary line, you had to go right up to the edge of that line? You had to push it to make a point. You're not the boss of me, right? I love that that. That uh, story you may have heard, right, where uh, teacher's trying to get a student to sit down, won't sit down. Finally, the student sa- sits down, and the t- student says, I'm sitting down physically, but in my mind, I'm standing up. <laughs> we're, uh, uh, we're like, yeah, right? That, that uh in us that just uh, does not like to be told what to do, Right? Years ago, there was this bumper sticker back in, probably in the 90s. Uh, maybe some of you had it or have it. But there was this bumper sticker, and I get the intent behind it. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. It used to be this bumper sticker in San Diego. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. And I kind of took it for face value all these years until I came across this. And I'm like, wait a sec. Whether or not I believe it is not part of the equation that bumper sticker is more accurate if it just says, God says it, that settles it. Whether or not I believe it doesn't change it. But what has happened? Why, why, why do we ch- struggle so much with this? It's part of a, our sin nature, wanting to be like God, determine right and wrong. It's also the culture we live in, where we're catered to, catered to self. It's all about your truth, what makes you feel good. Right? It's all relative. You're not the boss of me. Right? There was a season in our country, in our culture, where, you know, authority was more respected and people kind of understood it. But in the last decades, there's this sort of anti-authority heart and vibe that is just like prevalent in, in, our, in everyone, in our culture. But now, you know, and so here we come and we're like, This is the word of God, inspired of God, truth, and authority. Right? Boy, in our culture, that authority word, it's a tough one out there now. And a lot of us, even in the church, we still struggle with this sense of, oh, you're not the boss of me, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, you're a good influence, but I was going to do what I was going to do, right? 
So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Because if we want to grow in grace this year, and God has provided everything, first and foremost, the word of grace, for many this morning, you're going to have to spend some time working through this authority issue. This authority issue. The Simon with the nets. Right? And I was thinking through this, and then, and then I, I was like, Lord, this is tough. I, I shared with you, uh, you know, this Bible reading plan that we were going through, and I shared with you last Sunday. I was kind of struggling on January 1st to make this a part of my life. And so I was working through that in light of this, and I'm like, Lord, this Bible reading plan, I love the videos, convinced that I should do it, right? It, I, I need to do it as part of 2019. And I'm like, why am I struggling with this? Why was I struggling? And I kind of resolved it. And what helped me to resolve the battle over the Bible reading plan was because he said so. See, when I settled the issue that I'm to do the Bible reading plan because he says so, the discussion was over. Now I just make time for it and I just do it. And it's changed everything. Because now it's just a part of my morning routine. I said last Sunday, I kind of rebelliously chose not to do it before service because God was interrupting my Sunday flow. This Sunday, well, I did it this morning, right? And a complete radical change. What happened in a Sunday to a Sunday? I had a let down your nets moment. And I had to honestly say, okay, Lord, because you say so, I'll do the reading plan. See, a lot of times this, this idea of elevation of self and, and elevation of feelings, we wait for our feelings to change before we're going to act. Honestly, guys, if you will act on God's word in obedience, you'll find many times your feelings will follow. Your obedience and your act of faith and just doing it because he says so, suddenly your feelings will change about it. And you'll be like, wow, I can't believe I was such a rebel. And now I actually enjoy this. All right? So be careful about that. In Romans 5.20, I was thinking about this. It says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This passage can be kind of confusing, and, and the point of Romans 5.20 is, Lord, why did you give the Mosaic Law back at Mount Sinai? Was it just a bunch of do's and don'ts? Why did you even give us the law, right? And, and the New Living Translation really explains this verse in its version. It says this, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. You see, the Mosaic Law was given to reveal ourselves to us. God says, here, do this. And when we said, no, I don't want to do that, that was the point. It was to reveal our sinful, rebellious hearts so that what? We could receive His grace we could receive His grace. Right? His abundant, engulfing grace. 
And I, and I share that with you because in this issue of authority, here's the thing. If this submission, this let down your nets because you say so is really challenging to you right now, that's a good thing. Because God's just showing you you. And he's just showing you what he already knows about you. And the point of it is not to go, bad me, bad me. You're such an idiot. Bad me, bad Christian me, bad Christian me. No, the point of it is to go, Lord, I need your grace. I am such a rebel at heart. Lord, I am struggling. I like the inspired part. I like the truth part. But Lord, right now, the rebel in me is really struggling with this authority part. Lord, you know I've struggled my entire life as a rebel. Right? It's kind of me. I forgot who I was talking to. I got nicknamed when I was young. Uh, if you remember uh, the movie Top Gun, right back movie Top Gun, Tom Cruise, and his nickname as a pilot was Maverick because he's kind of a, re- a rebel. Well, someone named me Maverick because they knew how much of a rebel I was growing up. I said, dude, you're Maverick, man. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And it's tough. And so here's my encouragement to, to you this morning. If you're like, man, this is tough. I do not like being told what to do. I'm not sure... I'm not sure I would have done like Simon did on that boat. I might have got into a debate with Jesus. I might have got into a debate with Jesus. I might have told Jesus to drop the nets himself. (laughs) I'm just being honest. I'm not going to look like a fool in front of everyone on the shore. You do it, carpenter boy. What do you do with this? What do you do if God's showing you you? Here's the great thing about it. You receive his grace. Just receive his grace. He's not going to kick you out of the family. He's going to give you grace. He's going to say, I know. I know. Receive my grace now. Receive my grace. It's okay. It's okay. Receive my grace. See, a lot of times the church flips that and we put this big standard on you. Oh, you don't measure up. Right? The tribe has voted you out. (laughs) Right? No. When God reveals something in your life and in my life that's a heart issue, it's designed to get us to his throne of grace. To receive grace. In humility. Just to go, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Right? And that's what happened, if you go back to Luke 5, look what happens to Simon. It's crazy, right? So he lets down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Miracle, right? Miracle. Verse 7, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink, right? So Simon says, okay, sure, because you say so, boom, here's the nets. Probably was thinking, waste of time, right? Probably was like, okay, sure, let's just placate the carpenter. Because you say so, boom, boom, miraculous, huge number of fish in the daytime in the deep, right? So many that their boats began to sink. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, 
Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. See, the point of the story isn't that obey God and he's going to give you nets full of stuff. No, the point of the story is because you say so became a catalyst for revelation to Simon about who who the Lord really was. And when he saw Jesus, see, he called him master first, and in this verse he says, Lord. It got personal. Lord is now personal. He says, Lord, your Lord. Oh, I'm a sinful person. He was humbled. He was broken. That's what the point was. was for Simon Peter to kind of be knocked down a few pegs and to humble himself and say, Lord, go away from me. I am a sinful man. See, here's the crazy thing. In Luke 4, Simon had seen Jesus cast out demons. And he had seen Jesus miraculously heal people. So Simon had been around Jesus and had been a spectator to supernatural acts of Jesus. In Luke 5, it got personal. In Luke 5, he was no longer a spectator. He was in the game. Why? Because Jesus met him right where he was in what he thought was his strength. He says, Simon, you really think you're all that as a fisherman? Let me, let me blow your mind. Let me challenge you with who's the boss. And when Simon took a step of faith and just obeyed, maybe even reluctantly, maybe even hard-heartedly, maybe even thinking as a waste of time, when he did that, that obedience was a catalyst to his world being flipped upside down. And now long he wasn't just watching Jesus do things. He was like, Lord! And the story ends with him leaving everything to follow Jesus because it got real, real quick, didn't it? It got real, real quick. And for some of us here, you may have been walking with Jesus and maybe your walk is stagnant and stale and now you're just on the outside and you're wondering, man, God's doing people something in that life and that life and that life. What's up with that? And you're kind of celebrating. Here's the thing. What is it that God is asking you to do based on his authority that you sort of had just put off to the side because you don't think it's a good idea? Where are you asserting asserting your authority? Is it forgiveness? Is it the use of your resources? Is it loving one another? Right? You can go down the list. Baptism, compassion, uh, serving, using your gifts in your marriage. Right? We can go down the list. What area in your life? Be very specific. Are you just sort of like, ah, I don't do it that way. That's not the way I do it. We don't put out in the deep ridiculous I'm going to guess that me I'm not alone in having one or more years of my life where I pretty much have decided I'm the authority and because God's word isn't lining up with my thoughts in that area I'm not putting down the nets but if you will it's going to get real (laughs) in the best way possible in the best way possible if you will step out in faith and obedience Because he says so, watch out. Because it gets real, real quick. And suddenly, this walk with Jesus is dynamic. 
And it's like, oh my gosh, I did this, God, I've been challenged, you know, God's been asking me to do this, do this, this for so long, and I've been a rebel, and I didn't want to do it, and then I finally did it, and God changed everything. Anyone ever have a moment like that? Right? You've been fighting God, fighting God, fighting God, suddenly you yield and you say, okay. Because you say, say, okay. And suddenly he blows your mind and does things supernaturally that you could never ever imagine. It might be a relationship with someone, I can't forgive, I can't forgive, I can't forgive. Okay. But because you say so, I'll do it. And God does things in your relationship with that person and he does things in you that you never thought possible and would not have happened if you hadn't let down the net and said, because you say so. So as we move forward, we're going to be looking at these heart issues. What is it? What is it regarding the Word of God that you're challenged with? And today, I think God wants to ask us all a question. Are you willing to go out into the deep and put down the nets? Because He says so. Because He says so. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, thank you that your grace is abundant. And Lord, I'm challenged and I so resonate with Simon and what he must have been going through in that boat when you said put out into the deep and let down the nets and that was just counter to everything Simon knew, felt, believed, experienced and, and there was a struggle. There was just this great struggle of rebelling against authority. But I love Simon's example. He just said, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so. Lord, I ask you to speak to our hearts this morning before we leave. What area in my life am I rebelling against your authority? What what area in my life do I think I know better than you? What area in my life do I just flat out say, no, I don't want to? And then, Lord, I confess this to you. I confess the rebelliousness, the selfishness of my life and my heart. And I come to your throne of grace, your throne of grace this morning, and I ask you to forgive me. Just forgive me, God. And Lord, I also confess that when you ask me to do things that I don't get, I'm scared to death. I'm scared of what people are going to think about me. I'm scared about how it's going to turn out. And in in that fear, Lord, I ask you to please help me to have faith that you are a good God. You're good all the time. You want my good. You're never going to leave me nor forsake me. You're never going to ask me to do something that's not in accord with your will. So Lord, give me the faith to trust you and your character. To yield to your authority 